Welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. I'm delighted to welcome to the studio today Ian DeCruz. Ian is the Global Director of P4G. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lawrence. Thanks for having me. It's your second time here. Last time you were here, you were talking about the launch of Partnering for Green Growth and the Global Goals, this uh, new initiative to encourage public-private partnerships for green growth. Uh, and it was all kind of out there. You know, it was going to happen. It was going to happen. And now it's been, what, nine months maybe? A little over that, yeah. And, and you're back. You've given away millions of dollars. You've identified uh, dozens of promising partnerships. I'm eager to uh, get an update on that. And a little tease for our listeners, you're getting ready for a new round. You're going to be giving away millions of dollars again uh, early next year. And so uh, those who are interested in applying should stay tuned and listen to hear what you have to say. Great. Yeah. And I think that your point of P4G coming to life really happened at the P4G Summit in Copenhagen on the 19th and 20th of October. We had from over 450 applications, 24 partnerships that we really showcased in Copenhagen that demonstrated a real pathway to commercialization involving big corporates such as uh, companies like Alibaba, uh, Unilever as an example, uh, strong country engagement, including from our partner countries like Ethiopia and Kenya, and support from partner organizations like the World Resources Institute. What kind of partnerships are you looking for? So the key question is there are five key characteristics we're looking for. One is that the partnerships have to relate to one of the five areas um, related to sustainable development goals. So those five areas are either cities, energy, water, food and agriculture and circular economy, it has to be in developing countries, which are really showing some innovation and growth in that model, that there has to be a scale of impact that can be replicated in other regions in the world, and that these partnerships have a real opportunity to impl be implemented with success and where P4G can really add value to it. Um, in a blog post that's going to be published soon, you give some examples, and I think there's maybe no better way for people to understand what these things are than to talk about some of those concrete examples. So the, the first one is the Indonesia Food Loss and Waste Action Partnership. I think of food loss and waste as a problem which is mostly in the rich world. People have too much money, they may have too much food, they throw it out. But I, I realized in reading this that in the case of Indonesia, a lot of the losses are between the farm and the market rather than between the market and the, the consumer's trash can. Still, I wouldn't have thought this was a high priority issue for Indonesia. So first, tell me about the issue, and then I'm going to ask you about the partnership. Great. So in terms of the issue, the beauty of somewhere like Indonesia, it, it does deals with both issues, food loss and food waste. So it deals from, as you talk about, from the farm to the fork, which is really the food loss component and the food waste, which is actually how that is consumed by people. Indonesia is in a strategic position that it's a rising middle-income country, and therefore it has both issues at play. And that's why P4G chose that country along with the Food and Land Use Coalition, World Business Council, Sustainable Development, and World Resources Institute to be a test case for this partnership. The plan is that if we can really show governments setting some key targets, working with corporations who are involved, both in the agricultural supply chain as well as in terms of serving this food um, up the line in terms of consumer goods, that they can really look to reduce the waste across that value chain. If we can do that successfully in Indonesia, we'll look to do that in other countries too. 
I see from the write-up here the goal is to cut food lost and waste by 50%. Do we have any idea how much is currently being lost or wasted, or is measuring that the first step? That is part of the, the scale of the challenge, is to measure that, to see where the clear entry points are for the biggest gains in terms of that food loss and waste, and then for this to be a systematic a process developed with the government and corporates working together on. So a key part of P4G is its public-private partnerships. Who are the key players in this on the public side and on the private side in this particular partnership? In terms of the public side, the Indonesian government, including particularly the Ministry of Agriculture, I think becomes really important, and the Ministry of Planning. Ministry of Planning from a top-down perspective, working uh, around this low-carbon development strategy, which is part of their next five-year plan, then the support with the Lion Ministry of Agriculture to really support this push then you need to also get down to the next level of at the sub-national level, where are those provinces who are the early adopters of this approach going to start implementing this? And on the private side? So from the private sector side, you both have corporates within Indonesia and internationally. The three industries that we're really looking to target are the palm oil industry, the dairy industry, and the rice industry. And so you have local businesses within that value chain, and then you have corporates like the Unilevers of the world, the um, Ala Foods in terms of dairy, who are also looking to be part of this partnership. How long until we know if this is working? You would expect to see results within a year or some interim markers? It sounds like a big challenge. It is a big challenge, and so we will use as our marker September 2019, around the time of the UN Secretary General's Climate Summit, to really bring some of these partnerships to life. And we would like to this partnership as an example to show the demonstration of progress by that time. Okay. Example number two. I love this one because I love the acronym. The full name is the Zero Emission Bus Rapid Deployment Accelerator. And whoever wrote that had their eye on the brand, and they call it Zebra. And it's working in Sao Paulo and Mexico City. Um, Unpack that for us. What is this partnership going to do? Yeah, so the, the key thing is that in Latin America, under 1% of buses are actually electric buses. But when you compare that to places in China, such as in Shenzhen, they have 100% electric buses. So the challenge here is to see how do we get and build a market for electric buses in Latin America that can ultimately be a global market as we have seen in Shenzhen. Within that context, there are three key factors. One is the aggregation of demand for these electric buses. And so the good news is that mayors across parts of Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil have all agreed that they would like to go down this path of electric buses. The second thing is to get bus manufacturers seeing that this is an emerging market rather than pilot projects and wanting to therefore invest in this area in the way that we've seen this happen with the electric cars. And finally, we need new finance models to show that the overall life cycle cost is cheaper, but there's a higher upfront capital cost. And so how can we look to develop more attractive financing options to scale and deploy electric buses within those countries as quickly as possible? Why should we care if buses are electric or not? We need to care because in the end, it affects livelihoods. At the, at, at the grassroots level, people need mobility to access jobs. We want that access to happen for all people, and buses, um, electric buses through public transport helps to do that. We want to reduce the amount of congestion 
And so the increase of public transport and the electrification of that will also help with that process. We want to reduce uh, air pollution. And so that also helps the daily lives of lots of people in cities across the world. And therefore, this is a kind of example where you can get strong economic benefits, social benefits and environmental benefits together. But it does require sub-national governments and national governments working with bus manufacturers and financiers to make this happen. I noticed that in a lot of your uh, partnerships, you mentioned in this case the public sector is committing to buy them and the private sector bus companies is committing to produce them and sell them at an affordable cost. There's often a sort of a uh, a yeast component, which is an NGO that's going to somehow sort of make these things go. Yes. Is that true in this particular one? It is true in all our partnerships. They play a critical role. Uh, in this case, the ICCT, the International Clean uh, Clean um, Low Carbon Transport Institution, is really helping this. They're working with uh, institutions like C40 Cities as well as World Resources Institute. And so what these non-government organizations provide is a real focus on what's the ultimate impact that we want to have, particularly in terms of the social environment and economic impacts, and then how they can help broker these solutions and bring the right public and private sector actors together. We're getting a sort of a lightning geographic tour as well, because our third example is back to Asia for this very interesting partnership around green logistics. I think a lot of our listeners know that Alibaba is a rival with Amazon for the biggest uh, online um, purveyor of goods and deliverer of those goods. And this partnership, as I understand it, is looking at reducing the emissions associated with shipping them, but also some quite innovative stuff around recycling all the packaging. And I'm probably like a lot of our listeners in that I now order stuff online and it shows up at my house. And every time I unwrap it, I'm left this huge cardboard box. Like, what am I going to do with this box? So what are they going to do with those boxes in China? And of course, talk about scaling, you know, 1.2 billion people. They've pretty much eliminated um, extreme poverty. So practically everybody's buying stuff. It's getting shipped all over, sometimes by drones. How is this partnership going to make the delivery of all of that stuff green? It's a good question. It is the holiday season. And this is also why we chose a partnership like this. It's a huge market that is emerging in e-commerce. And this is only going to continue to grow. And what it's trying to do is three key things. The first thing is how do you find reduce the packaging? And, and it's related to the choice of the centers where you collect this. So in the emerging model that's being developed in Xiamen municipal government, so it's a partnership with the city government and Alibaba and the logistics arm China, they're wanting to find the right locations. So rather than these packages come to your door, so to speak, people come and collect it in places which are major activity centers. They then get, re they release the packaging there and then hopefully that doesn't stay in your house as you mentioned, but it actually then can be reused. The intent within this model and some early trials is that th that same box and package can be used 25 times. So that's the kind of mission which we have there. The second component is that in the uh, freight and logistics across the city, they want all their two and three vehicle motorcycles, uh, most of them in China at least, to all be electrified. So that's the second component that exists. And then the third component is how do we bring a digital platform working with both the city governments 
and big corporations such as Alibaba and China to optimize the efficiency so that these are two-way transactions rather than just one way and ultimately can be grouped in the most efficient ways possible. So for this one, you've got your public, which is the cities primarily, yes. and you've got the private, which is Alibaba, one of the biggest corporations in the world. Who's that yeasty NGO who's going to make these elephants dance together? It's the China Environment Protection Foundation. And why they're a really important non-government organization is they're looking to take those lessons learned in Xiamen and to see how we can capture that to then share that in other cities in, in China. There's a target of up to 10 other cities in China that we're looking to to uh, replicate this, and also in terms of global cities. And so we're also looking for international cities to, to uh, look to follow that model. So China Environment Protection Foundation will share those lessons. The other thing they're looking to do is share that within the government to see how this can be a model that is mainstreamed into the way that cities and corporates and logistic chains can develop, both in China and we would like to see internationally as well. I love these stories. I could listen to you all day, but we're, we're just about out of time. I want to come to this new call for proposals. I may have mentioned at the beginning you gave away more than $5 billion across 24 different uh, proposals. You're looking to do something of similar magnitude now. What guidance would you give to a listener who's listening and thinking, well, you know, I have a really hot idea for a public-private partnership, and I wonder if I couldn't apply for some of this support because my idea is so great. Tell that listener what to do. The first thing I'd say is come to our website, www.p4gpartnerships.org. We, our website clearly has the whole application process. The process is open now. It will close on the 15th of February. Look at the partnerships. So we've talked about some from Asia. We've talked some from Latin America. But we have also some interesting projects in Africa around clean energy access to look at. So this will give you a sense and some of the scale-up examples and startup of the scale of impact that we're looking at, the pathway to commercialization, and a strong sense of the partners. And we found in 2018 that the commercial partner was often the one that was the tipping point to really take partnerships to the next level. So really think of who your private sector partner is, what is your pathway to commercialization, what's that business and finance model. Great, Ian, thanks so much for joining. I look forward to having you back again in another six to eight months to hear about the new round of winners that you select. But I'm also gonna hold your feet to the fire a little bit and ask you for updates on those that we discussed today so you can give us a report card on their progress. Well, I look forward to that, Lawrence. That is actually our 2019 agenda. It is to firstly deliver on our 2018 partnerships, as you mentioned. So I welcome the opportunity to come back and talk to you about that and show we have a viable pipeline to, through our 2019 partnerships. And once again, thank all your listeners and World Resources Institute for hosting P4G. Uh, the support from the organization has been tremendously valuable for the success we have today and what we'd like to do in the future. We're delighted to be partnering with P4G. This has been the World Resources Institute podcast. My guest today is Ian DeCruz. He's the global director for P4G, partnering, partnering for green growth and the global goals. Um, thank you, Ian, for joining the show. Thank you, Lawrence. I hope you will be a frequent listener. You can find other WRI podcasts on Stitcher, iTunes, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Lawrence McDonald. Thanks for listening.